think that's it. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. As today, I just want to share a real simple message here on, uh, on just kind of preparing our hearts uh, for Christmas, you know. Uh, to me, it's a blessing to be able to kind of have it not just as a, as a one-day thing, but as a season, you know. And, and as a season, in one sense, where we get to just meditate on this amazing birth in which God came to planet Earth. You know, I was talking to my wife the other day and I asked her a question, which really I'll let you know in advance. There's really no uh, right or wrong answer. I don't even know uh, what you guys would say. Maybe to something like this. What's more important on Christmas, uh, on Christmas season? Would you say um, going to church or helping out the 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 poor let's just say an act of benevolence or an act of reverence now some of you here immediately you're inclined to say well it's more important you know to help the poor to to you know to you know help those who are down and out and maybe find someone that you can give uh, food to or turkeys to or kids you know you give them the toys that's more important some would i think naturally inclined in that direction and then there are others who say, no, well, you, you know, you got to get to church, right? And so for me, I, I, as a pastor, of course, you're going to hear me say, we need to do both. You know, because, you know, there are a lot of people who see Christmas simply as a, a season where we do benevolent acts. You know, the kids need toys, the family needs a turkey, you know, and whatever it might be. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think that we do need to have that heart. Where are those genuine needs? How can I really uh, live out? They, they call it the spirit of Christmas, you know? So that's a great thing. But don't forget, um, it, it's God who gave his son. You know, it's God who came. And so when I'm reading my Bible and I'm reading about these stories and the prophecies about the birth of Christ or when I'm going to church service, I'm, I'm going to seek him, to thank him. I'm, I, I need to do that personally. You know, in, in one sense, um, you know, it's kind of like holding a baby. And I know this is weird. This is just my, my, my weirdness coming out, you know. But, you know, you, you see a little baby and, uh, and you go and you hold the baby. There's something about holding it, squeezing it, just looking at how beautiful this baby is. You know, taking it into your own arms. This is what we need to do for Christmas. With Jesus, with what he's done. And so as I was getting ready for today, I, 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 I read a book yesterday, actually. It's not a big book, but I read a book by Lee Strobel. It's called The Case for Christmas. And so Lee Strobel was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Um, he was actually an atheist at one time. His wife became a Christian, and he hated it. Until he finally said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at all the evidence and I'm going to write a book. I'm going to disprove to her, her faith that, that this is just a farce. And so in his investigation on the claims of Christ and just the historical evidence and all that, he became a Christian in the process. And so he wrote a great book. There's actually a movie about his life. It's called The Case for Christ, if you haven't seen it. I, I read a book yesterday. It's called The Case for Christmas. And um, it, it was a small book, like I said, but it began with a story that I would like to read to you. I think it's kind of a, 
a good Christmas contemplation, and I think maybe in one sense it's a good representation of what this time is all about. And so here goes the story. I'm going to read this to you. This is what he said. He said that the Chicago Tribune newsroom was eerily quiet on the day before Christmas. As I sat at my desk with little to do, my mind kept wandering back to a family I had encountered a month earlier while I was working on a series of articles about Chicago's neediest people. They were the Delgados, comprised of a 60-year-old Perfecta, that's her name, Perfecta, and her granddaughters Lydia and Jenny. They had been burned out of their roach-infested tenement and were now living in a tiny two-bedroom apartment on the west side of Chicago. As I walked in, I couldn't believe how empty it was. There was no furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls, only a small kitchen table and a handful of rice. That's it. They were virtually devoid of possessions. In fact, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny owned only one short-sleeved dress each plus one thin gray sweater between them both. When they walked a half mile to school through the biting cold, Lydia would wear the sweater for part of the distance and then hand it to her shivering sister who would wear it the rest of the way. But despite their poverty and the painful arthritis that kept Perfecta from working, she still had confidently talked about her faith in Jesus Christ. She was convinced he had not abandoned them. I never sensed despair or self-pity in her home. Instead, there was a gentle feeling of hope and peace. So I wrote an article for the Chicago Tribune about the Delgados and then quickly moved on to more exciting assignments. But as I sat on my desk on Christmas Eve, I continued to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing but faith and yet seemed happy. While I had everything I needed materially, but I felt empty and barren as their apartment. I walked over to the city desk to sign out a car. It was a slow news day with nothing of consequence going on. But as a reporter, he said my boss uh, could call me if something were to happen. And so in the meantime, I decided to drive over and see how the Delgados were doing. When Jenny opened the door, I couldn't believe my eyes. Tribune readers had responded to my article by showering the Delgados with a treasure trove of gifts, roomfuls of furniture, appliances, and rugs, a lavish Christmas tree with piles of wrapped presents underneath, carton upon bulging carton of food and a dazzling selection of clothing including dozens of warm winter coats scarves and gloves on top of that they donated thousands of dollars in cash but as surprised as i was by the outpouring i was even more astonished by what my visit was interrupting for perfecta and her granddaughters were getting ready to give away much of their newfound wealth. When I asked Perfecta why, she simply replied, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. That blew me away. 
If I had been in their position at that time in my life, I would have been hoarding everything. I asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of the people who had sent all of these goodies, and again, her response amazed me. She said, this is wonderful. This is very good. We did nothing to deserve this. It's a gift from God. But, she added, it's not his greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. His greatest gift is Jesus. To her, this child in the manger was the undeserved gift that meant everything. More than material possessions, more than comfort, more than security. And at that moment, something inside of me wanted desperately to know this Jesus. Because in a sense, I saw him in Perfecta and her granddaughters. They had peace despite poverty, while I had anxiety despite plenty. They knew the joy of generosity, while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope, while I only looked out for myself. They experienced the wonder of the spiritual, while I shackled to the shallowness of the material. And something made me long for what they had, or more accurately, for the one they knew. What a beautiful story, huh? You know, to me, when I read this, Lee Strobel, his book, The Case for Christmas, I see here's not only a true story. This is a true story. But we got to know it's a story of truth. And every Christmas season, I think, and probably even every day of our lives, we need to remind ourselves of these things. You know, God saw our greatest need. He saw our spiritual poverty. And in his love, he gave us his son. Something we read about, and we're going to see here in the Gospel of Luke And, you know, we'll probably come back and read verses 1 through 7 on one of the other days as we're going through this story, this season. But but today I wanted to hone in on what happened that same night after Jesus was born. I wanted to pick it up, if you would, join me in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. Notice what we read here. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace good will toward men. As I look at this right here, again, you know, one of the the, the defects I have about being a pastor, you know, is I want to like help everybody with everything. And, you know, you kind of want to dump load a whole bunch of truth upon them. But you realize, you know, you can't do that. This whole season, 
It kind of reminds me of 2 Corinthians 9.15. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I mean, there are not enough words in the English language and we can articulate in all eternity that could adequately, adequately express the beauty of Christmas. But, but today as I look at this, uh, this is kind of maybe highlight a few things. And then during this season, my prayer is that we would hold the baby, that we would seek him because wise men still do that. Right here, three things kind of stand out in one sense. Number one, verses eight through nine is the sight of the angel, the sight of the angel. And then verses 10 through 12 is the saying of the angel, verses 10 through 12. And then in verse 13 through 14 is the song of the angel. Now, I have to admit, we don't know for sure if the angelic hosts sang. Uh, I remember this one guy. Well, you guys know Bob Young. Some of you guys know him. He's a a great singer. Uh, He said, no, the angels were not singing. They were just saying. But it says right there in verse uh, 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. Now, he's right. They're just saying. I don't know if they're singing for sure, but we'll just say they're singing, okay? (laughs) And so, um, you know, it's interesting when you look at this, uh, first of all, the sight of the angel. And, you know, Luke Luke paints a picture. He paints a picture, and I think it's good for us to kind of get that picture, to try to visualize it, if you would. You know, uh, Luke writes, but he wants us, notice again in verse uh, 9, he says, um, verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and behold, behold. And, and so I, I think he wants us to behold. He uses the word again in verse 10. And that word, it means to not only see, but to observe. And it, it's usually in reference to you know, wanting to see or observe something that's impressive or something that's remarkable. And so, you know, we're going to go through this Christmas season, and believe you me, there is going to be a lot of things going on. How many of you guys have a, maybe a, a Christmas party at work or with friends or hopefully with church? Or, you know, you've got a lot of running around to do. And how many of you guys, I'm just curious, have, have tamales to make? I'm just curious, cookies to bake. You know, there's so much going on, right? Uh, but don't lose this visual don't miss this picture that god wants us to have you know let's do what the angel asks right here let's behold let's use our imagination you know um some people think that imagination is just for disneyland employees no it's for the disciples as well can you see the angel there you know, I'm not telling you guys to close your eyes and visualize. I'm not saying that. But, you know, I think God does want us to see the angel. I think he wants us to see the dark night. I think he wants us to see the, the shepherds and then the flocks and kind of take it in. And, and then, you know, there's the glow. It says right there, there's the glory of the Lord. And so what, what did that look like? I, I can only imagine a, a, a light brighter and more beautiful than anything we have ever seen. But that's what they saw that night. And at the same time with the angel and the glory of God, you know, and this light that is more bright or beautiful than we've ever seen, there's also simultaneously something scarier 
scarier than they've ever experienced because now heaven is coming to earth. It's invading our planet. And so after seeing the angel, notice right here, he says in, in verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. There's, there's no doubt they're shaking in their boots, man. I mean, these are guys, these are men's men. These are, you know, shepherds out there roughing it in, in the night, but they're afraid. But he says, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. We have the sight of the angel and then you have the, the saying of the angel, okay? So for me, I like to take it literally. First, I'm going to behold. First, I'm going to see it. And then I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what the angel said that night. You know, and when you look at this right here, it's interesting to me how, how he says, do not be afraid. Now, we could just take that and just say that was for them. It's got nothing to do with me. But I'll bet you almost anything, there are a lot of people who are afraid. You know, some of you here, maybe you're afraid. You're afraid for your future. What's going to happen? You're looking forward at something that has a great uncertainty about your future. It's just not settled yet. There's a lot of question marks there. Or, or maybe you're afraid for your family. A lot of us are for maybe our kids, our finances. There are physical trials ahead you know all that we don't see maybe you're afraid for what you do see you know the reality right here of what these shepherds are witnessing right in front of them that night you know i i I do think that part of not only the christmas message but part of the overall like just big important message for us as christians is don't be afraid you don't have to be afraid. You want to know why? Because uh, we'll just cut to the chase right here. God's with us. This is what Christmas is, really. You, you know, the Bible talks about that in Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, Matthew 1, uh, you shall call his name Jesus. You know, um, Isaiah 9, 6, um, he will be called Emmanuel because what um, that means is that God is with us. Right here he says, don't, don't be afraid. You know, you don't have to be afraid. I hope this Christmas season that that hits home like never before. No matter what it is you have, you're facing now or you will face in the future. For me, you know, again, the congregation, the kids, the challenges, the church. Manny, are you afraid? Sometimes, yeah, you're tempted to be afraid. But God says, don't. When you are, you're being disobedient. Don't be afraid. You know, right here, but the Bible says in 1 John 4.18 that God's perfect love, it casts out all fear. And so this is very important for us. So anyways, here, you know, the angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And even though the message was spoken close to 2,000 years ago to a handful of shepherds on a dark, cold night, you know, right there where he says that this would be a message for all people, all people, that includes you, me, us. This is a message for us. You know, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever the bad news might be, 
Right here he says, I, I bring you good news, he says in verse 10, of great joy, which will be for all people. You know, you, you guys are going to hear what we might interpret as bad news sooner or later, right? There you are, maybe living in an almost empty apartment, cold, crippled with arthritis, you can't work. You're worried about your children, your grandchildren, like this gal, Perfecta, may have been tempted to do, but she wasn't. And whatever the situation may be, we have to listen to what the angel says. You know, for us, even though it might be years of tears, the bad news will eventually get swallowed up by the good news when we take it up in this heart of joy. You see, God right here, he wants us to have joy. Look again in verse 10. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. You know, I can just, for those of you who have children, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I'm, you don't even have to be a parent to know what I'm talking about. You're here, you, you see the kids, you see your friends, you see your nephews, your nieces, your, you know, the people that you care about. Don't you just love to see people happy? Do you? Yes or no? Yes. If you don't, then you're weird. <laughs> We love to see people happy. We love to see people smiling and laughing, I, which is you know, why I used to torture my kids by tickling them, which is an interesting concept to think about. But you know, I, I love to see my family getting along, smiling, singing, joking around in a good way. There's that genuine joy. Now, if I like to see that, if I do, the wicked, wretched, warped man that I am, how much more so God? And so when we're, when we're celebrating Christmas, we, we see it, we hear it, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And that's you too. This changes our life. It should. But I can hear someone saying, well, Manny, you don't know my situation. You know, and for some of us here, yeah, you know what, it it, it might be what we would define as worse than others, but I have seen a lot. You know, children who've died, a son was murdered, the daughter was murdered, a beautiful Christian girl, she dies in an innocent place. What does that do to the mom? An unfaithful spouse, a prodigal son, that hardworking man who lost his job, so they lost their house. I've, I've seen, not everything, I've seen a lot. I've met many who work the streets or who live on the streets. You know, we look at what's going on in the world today, the wars, the wars, the evil that takes place, right? I mean, we see what's going on. And some might say, and you're trying to tell me that all the bad news gets swallowed up by the good news? Well, how about these guys over here or those social outcasts? As a matter of fact, it's interesting to note that the shepherds were considered unclean, that they were despised by people. You know, when the Bible talks about that in Genesis 46, 34, where it says, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And yet these were the ones, these were the ones that the angel appeared to. You'd be surprised. A lot of these guys that are homeless, a lot of these people that are going through trials that are so tremendous and deep and dark, they're going to be in the kingdom of God. 
while these rich and successful and wealthy and all those that we put up on a pedestal, unless they humble themselves, they won't. You know, we've seen these things. And so what we find right here is in verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Okay, then tell me what it is, because I'm going through a lot. And he says there in verse 11, and there's the explanation, and this is what we have to contemplate on Christmas. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's it right there. You know, I, I, would, I would be, it would be a fascinating conversation to be able to sit down with each one of you and ask you, like, what was your greatest gift that you ever got? Now, I'm not talking about people, okay? Because people, they're nothing like people. When God brings someone into your life and they become the love of your life or you get kids or you get grandkids, you get friends, you get family. I'm not talking about that because nothing compares to the people that we are blessed to have. And so much of Christmas is about being with those people. Huh? It's so beautiful, right? So I'm not talking about people. I'm just talking about gifts. Like what's the greatest gift you ever got? You know. And so that's a, a, a fascinating conversation perhaps. I don't know, just right off the top of my head, I was thinking about a Raiders uh, beanie that I got the other day my sister gave to me. I never had a Raiders beanie before, you know? And so, hey, I, I put it on, and I'm, all of a sudden, man, you know, this sounds kind of you know, silly to you, but I thought of my dad, because he's a huge Raider fan. My dad's in heaven now. But that beanie, what it means to me. I mean, the Raiders are not that good as far as... <laughs> football <laughs> but I do remember when they had Kenny Stabler <laughs> you know and so anyways you know that's a beautiful gift uh, uh, a while back a friend gave to me some these earphones and they're not they I mean they're good earphones earphones are cool huh they're they're, they're um, I think they're Bose yeah they're Bose earphones and I just listen to them all the time I go into my garage and I worship I mean, those are, I mean, there's other gifts I could talk about, but I'm just saying, isn't it cool when you get a gift and it's really practical and it just, you know, it just does, it's a beautiful thing. Well, in this case, for us as, as Christians, we, ha- we can't miss the fact that we have been given these things that the angel mentions right here. And there are three things that maybe you can outline. I, I don't know, but number one is we've been given a savior. He says there in verse 11, for there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so what did you get for Christmas? Well, I got Jesus. Well, what do you mean you got Jesus? Well, I got, I got saved. I got saved. Remember, I always tell you guys these things, and so you got to know them um, because when we're in heaven one day, um, you guys got to pass the test, okay? Saved from the power of sin the penalty of sin, and the presence of sin. 
So you're, you've got this Savior. The moment you place your faith in Christ, it's so beautiful to know that sin no longer has power over you. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to get high or drunk or throw out the F-bombs anymore. You don't have to be the prideful person and win every argument and always have the last word. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to, you know, like I'm so interested that I'm everyone's favorite, you know, person. No, we don't have to. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We've been saved from the power of sin. I don't have to lust. My eyes just bounce now. I don't look at girls. You want to know why? Because I fear God. I, I don't have, I'm not in bondage to pornography. I'm not in bondage because God has set me free. The moment you place your faith in Christ, we have a Savior. And so sin no longer has power over me. I don't have to drink in order to have a good time. I don't need that. And so praise God for our Savior who saved us from the power of sin. He saved us from the penalty of sin, which is God's judgment. We know that the Bible talks about the wages of sin is death. And that's not just a physical death. That's a spiritual death. We won't experience that. And not just the power of sin, but not just the penalty of sin, which is hell and the lake of fire, but we've been saved from the presence of sin. And so that means that one day, guess where we're going to end up? In heaven. All because of Jesus, because of what he's done. Matthew one twenty one. you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so number one, you've been given Jesus the Savior. Number two, you've been given Jesus the Christ. He says that there in verse 11, for there's born to you this day in the city of David a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, we need to know these things. You may be thinking, well, man, he's kind of rambling on. He's saying a whole bunch of stuff. No, you should know what you've been saved from. Saved from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, the presence of sin, saved from that. And, and when we're talking about Jesus Christ, it's not just his last name, you know, like John Smith, Manny Coronia, Jesus Christ. No, it's not like that. Christ is a title. Christ is the, the Greek, Christos, the Hebrew is Mashiach, and it means anointed one. You guys knew that, right? If you didn't know that, come up here right now. No, I'm just joking, you didn't. You guys knew that, right? Anointed one. The anointed one, what do you mean the anointed one? This talks about him in the Old Testament, 300 prophecies that one day the Christ would come. And he's the anointed, three things, prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, there were three offices that were anointed. They anointed prophet, priest, and king. And this is, what, this is who we've been given. This is what you got. You know, the, the prophet, he, he speaks the word of God to us, right? Uh, the priest, he's the one that's the mediator between us and, and God, the king. We're going to see this come back to us again. And this is a beautiful thing because... You know, we look at the world, we look at the wars, we see the political scene that's going on right now. We see there is no answer. There is no answer in men. There is no one on earth who can bring peace. Only God can. And he will. Because our, our Savior is Christ. 
the Lord. And this is what he says right here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about planet Earth and you know what's going on globally. And don't be afraid of, of what's going on personally. You having struggles in your marriage? God says, I'll meet you there. You having struggles in your, in your body? You watch how I'm going to take that. And, and for some, he's going to heal. For others, he's going to use it for his glory. And he's going to humble us in order that he might use us in ways that we would have never known had we not gone through those trials. I mean, you name it. Don't be afraid, for there's born to you this day in the city of David the, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is a beautiful thing. I don't know how you guys feel about him being your Lord. You know, but being the Lord, being the master of my life, and some people can look at it two ways. They can, well, some people might look at it and they say, well, yeah, Jesus tells me, you know, what to do. And he tells me, like, I got to go to church, you know, once a week. Or he tells me, you know, to read my Bible. He tells me to pray. He tells me to love people that I don't like. And he, you know, tells me to, you know, whatever, be nice or... I don't know, you know, to obey the laws of the land. I, I, he tells you things, but, but you know, you could look at it they, that way as, a, as a someone who's calling the shots in your life and it's not you who's calling the shots in your life. Or you can look at it a different way. Like in the Old Testament, I love the way that they, they said, you know, we need the Lord to lead us because we've never been this way before. You know, you've never been this way before. We've never been at this juncture of our life. We don't know where to go. We don't know the way. Thank God we have the Lord, our leader. You see, this is what we've been given on Christmas Day. Listen, you're not lost. God has a plan. God is moving. And what we find as a result of this whole beautiful thing is that we have someone, you know, to to lead us through life. Uh, I thank God for my wife. She is definitely more, um, I'm navigationally challenged. Isn't that embarrassing to say as a guy? I mean, you know, you park somewhere and you come out and you're like, man, where'd I park? He's like, over there, you know. Um, but, um, you know, she helps me through life. Nowadays, we got the, you know, whatever, the, the GPS, and we have it on our phones, and man, thank God, that's probably the second best invention in the history of the world, besides air conditioning, amen? So, you know, we're not lost, but we do need to have a personal relationship with God. You know, it's interesting. I was reading about this and reading the book and yesterday uh, Lee Strobel was giving a testimony of one of these Jewish guys that his daughter got saved in college, a prestigious university. She was there with the intellectuals and many of them were Christians. She gets saved. She comes home, tells her dad, who's Jewish, that she's now a Christian. He freaks out and he does the same thing that Lee Strobel does. He then investigates the evidence because he wants to tell his daughter how foolish she is. And in the process, he becomes a Christian. But one of the things that that, that really drew him to Christianity was the fact that he could have a personal relationship with God. And And I pray that you have that. 
that you have that, that you talk to him, that he talks to you, that you follow him. It's so important, you know, because this leader of our life will lead us as we have this personal relationship. And so the angel shares with with the shepherds and then in verse 12 he says, and this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You know, it's interesting to me, verse 12. And again, you could read this and you could just say, well, this is for the shepherds then. It's got nothing to do with me now. And there might be times when you're reading the Bible where that is the way that you need to interpret it. But I tell you what, there's a lot of times where it doesn't work that way, where yes, it is said to them then, but I think in one sense, it's also said to us now, like, This will be the sign to you. Well, what's the sign? What's the sign? What's the sign of his majesty? What's the sign of his glory? What's the sign of his royalty? You know what the sign is? His humility. This will be the sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, in a feeding trough where the oxen are eating. You're going to see a baby right there in that manger. And to me, when I look at this, I'm like, wow, you know, the the sign, well, God has come to planet Earth. Well, God has come, you know, to save us. God has come, you know, to, to, to be with us. And so you're going to find an entourage surrounding your majesty, the most high king, and he'll stand out head and shoulders above the rest, you know, glowing with glory, flowing with all that is fancy, showing his might, showing his muscle, revealing his royalty. That's not what happened. It's not royalty. It's humility. The king, the savior, the Christ, the Lord was conceived within the womb of Mary, born in a barn, placed in an animal's feeding trough, lying in a manger, Again, you don't see that too often. The sign of your Savior will be his humility. And then to me, I'm just reminded, yeah, he really is the Savior to all people. You know, because the poor of Cambodia, Nepal, Mexico, they won't be intimidated by him because they know, you know, he didn't have a whole lot either. You know, when he, you know, was born, he was laid in a feeding trough. And when he died, all he ever owned was the clothing upon his body. He never even had a place to lay his head. This is how he divested himself for our good. And so the song of the angels, and again, we're not sure if they're singing, was just, you know, uh, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You see how we just went through this passage and I just kind of skimmed the surface? Did you guys notice that? I didn't even dig deep. 
You know, my encouragement to you is to read through these passages in Luke and Matthew and Isaiah and all the different Christmas passages. We've got a couple of weeks before Christmas and just start soaking it in. Just start holding this baby and watch what God does. Now, right here, we're, we're talking about the, what they actually said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You know, what, what's so glorious? It's interesting, glory to God in the highest, in the highest. What do you mean in the highest? Glory to God in the highest. It's almost like the angels are saying, like, this is about, this is so amazing. We've never seen anything like this. What? What are you talking about? What's so glorious? What is so glory to God in the highest? What what are you talking about? And, And what they're talking about is how, you know, God has come down to us, this place called planet Earth. This is what they said, glory to God in the highest and on Earth, on Earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now you might look at that and you're thinking, okay, yeah, Jesus came. This is why they're so excited and this is what Christmas you know, is really you know, going to entail is that Jesus came to one day be king. It's been 2,000 years. We're still waiting and who knows how much longer it's going to be, but we do know future, eventually, he will be king and bring peace. Yes, that's part of it. That's part of it. But, but another part of it, you, you have to go back again to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, he, he would be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And you may not feel it right now, but let me just ask you a, a couple of questions before we close. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Have you placed your faith in Christ? acknowledging that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Are you born again? Are you really a Christian? If not, don't just play church. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. If you are, then he's with you. That's what the Bible says. You know, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content. Hebrews 13, 5 says, in what you have, be content in what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When we're talking about glory to God in the highest, it's because peace has come down to planet earth to be with me. Not necessarily to say, hey, man, you don't have to go through the fire because we will go through the fire, but not just that we won't go through the fire, but when you go through the fire, I will go through the fire with you. And it just changes everything. And so I pray that we would, uh, you guys remember when you used to do obstacle courses? You guys remember that? Those were fun, huh? We should do a church obstacle course one day. So you're going to have to maneuver your way through all the hoopla and glitter and sometimes distractions of the holiday season. And my my prayer is that we would behold the baby, hold him in our arms, and just soak it all in.